We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? I am very good, Patrick. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, for those folks who are watching, they'll see that we are we are remote. We're going to do a little bit of remote for the next, I don't know, some number of episodes. Um, uh, uh, but you're in your office, so we, it's kind of like we have a new location for you. Yeah. You're in the new Comptrain offices, yeah. Yes. So when we exactly. uh, when we get back to in person, which again will happen soon, uh, we still got to figure out a, a new home for Chasing Excellence, but we will do that. Um, this week we are going to we did something, gosh, it's probably months ago now, uh, where kind of at the last minute we had a guest not show up, and so we uh, we we pieced together an idea which was like let's just talk about the books we've been reading. And it went really well. And I think it was cool. I think people liked it. Uh, so we're going to do it again. We're going to do kind of what we've been reading the last kind of maybe four or five books that we uh, individually have been reading. We're just going to chat about it, see what they've been about, see maybe why we pick those things, maybe some big lessons, and then go from there. Cool? Yeah, very cool. I, um, I enjoyed the last one because it gave me a – I read, I think, two at least of the five books that you okay. talked about. I think I read at least two, if not three of them. Love it. Um, but I did not include those, obviously, in this conversation. Oh, cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Uh, I look for it, and I don't know what you've been reading, and you don't know what I've been reading. So that's kind of part right. of the fun. Is this is kind of our excuse to trade uh, book recommendations? Before we do, though, and I don't want to go too much off uh, off tangent, but this might be the only place that we can like I can ask this question. In in episodes past, you've talked about, and correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm getting this wrong, but you've talked about dyslexia, correct? Mm -hmm. You've yep. talked about your experience Absolutely. with that, yeah. I'm going to be totally honest. Like I, I have like a very layman's sense of what that even means. Would you be willing to just kind of like talk us through like one, just what that is, what that means. And then also just what that experience was like, because it, especially when we're talking about books, like there's nothing that that affects more than, uh, than the ability, the willingness, the, the enthusiasm to read books. So if there's folks out there who might share some of that, I wonder if there's not something that in your experience your story that might help them get from, I'm not, a, I'm not the kind of person who reads books to, all right, I'm going to give this a shot or I'm going to do this more. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up with dyslexia and I still have it. Um, and you, it's funny you say, you know, your layman's understanding or your, you know, you kind yeah. of know it from afar. That's actually kind of, I only know my experience with it. Yeah. So I, I'm not an expert in it whatsoever. And I know that there's varying degrees of dyslexia and I don't know how mild or severe what I have is. Mm. Um, other than I struggled massively in school, particularly um, early on, it got better later on, you know, by senior year of high school and college, I kind of learned how to learn a little bit. Mm. Before that, um, it was just, this doesn't make sense. So it was a real uphill battle for me. Um, the way it shows up for me is um, first kind of easiest one is what everyone kind of hears about it. Like things get jumbled as they come across. So as you see things in sequence, they don't get formulated in sequence. And what I mean by that is if someone was to leave a voicemail on my phone and say, you know, Hey Patrick, give me a call. You know, this is Patrick. Give me a call back at five, 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 seven, eight, three, four, eight, two, seven. I can't do, I can't tell you those numbers back. 
Mm. I have to listen to that um, and write them down. Honestly, if they go that speed, it would be like three or four times. It takes me a long time to grab a number and hold on to it because in my head, it's the they get flipped. And that is a little bit similar with some letters in the alphabet. Mm-hmm. B's and D's as a kid were very challenging, even though my names, both my names start with B. It's like they were still hard. And then G's and J's were very, they're still to this day. I still think that they're the same letter. They, um, but those were the big ones. And then when I would read, um, I, I, I can see how my kids read out loud. I listen to other people read and I can, it's so fluid and it's so smooth and it's, uh, Effortless is what comes to mind because for me, it takes a lot of effort. Mm. When I read, um, you know, I went to a specialist for a while and basically the way they described it was when people read, they read in chunks. And if you watch people's eyes, you can see this on a telemark, a teleprompter. It doesn't like go smoothly across eyes. They look and they read three, four or five words and then it jumps and they read three or four or five more words and it jumps and they read three. So it's like this and you're through a line. For me, I read one word, mm-hmm. so I don't I don't have the the ability to smoothly articulate a sentence when I read. I'm reading a I'm I read a word, mm-hmm. then I read the next one, mm-hmm. and this is like when people. It's kind of the, the analogy I would give is when people learn to play music. Even when I've been reading for you know 40 plus years, I still read like I'm learning the first notes, like twinkle, twinkle, little, as opposed to something that's a little more practice to go, yep. twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I, and then somebody that's been doing this for a long time, playing music goes, twinkle, twinkle, little, and they read the whole thing across. So even at 45 years old, I see the one words and it makes it challenging um, because I don't get to even know, like using, reading out loud becomes very, very challenging because you don't know whether to use inflection or is this a question or because you don't get to see the future a little bit. (laughs) It's very, it's very present moment. And then when I go to the next line, a lot of times I read the same sentence over again. It's not reading the next line. So those are the challenges I have. Um, Kind of the best thing, the best learning tool I've ever had. You know, people talk a lot about, um, we talk about the sweet spot of learning, which is um, the right amount of challenge. And if it's too hard, you go into panic mode. If it's too easy, you're not being pushed. And what I found, at least for me, is lots and lots of too easy is okay. Because mm. um, it's like building up a bunch of zone two training. Yep. And you kind of get so much practice at it without any stress. And the 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 way I learned this with um, is when I started reading out loud to my kids when they were one two three and now they're eight and ten we still read out loud and it's been nice because in the beginning it was like go dogs go <laughs> yeah yeah the dogs race to the tree 
the dogs stopped at the light. It was like, that's the books I was reading out loud to them. And that was my speed. I would read, you know, multiple times a day to them. And now we can read, we read things like Harry Potter and stuff like that. And it's much, um, if I had started there, even though that probably was my right threshold, it, it would have been so, it would have still been a slower road, I think, than the lots and lots of easy repetition. So the, if you have a child that is suffering with dyslexia, my suggestion is have them read the crazy, crazy, crazy easy books out loud. Because mm-hmm. out loud reading was the one that was the biggest struggle in my head. It would just take me. It just take me a long time to right. read. Right. A long, long time. But it wasn't um, frustrating. Out loud, it's embarrassing because if you if if you can't read out loud in college, you look like you're not smart, mm-hmm. and that's such the way that we determine we label smarts these days is in you know academic proficiency. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, we've talked about this on the, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, right, you're going to think those fish are pretty useless. Yeah. And the ability to read out loud and memorize and regurgitate facts, aka traditional schooling, in my opinion, is not the, the true measures of what we should be trying to um used to determine whether people are making progress intellectually. Mm -hmm. Um, Last question before we dive into into the specific books. Was there a moment, or or I guess maybe like what happened? Because I imagine in that scenario in high school, let's say, it would be really easy. And I think we've talked about it a little bit where it'd be easy, I imagine, for you to think, well, I must just not be very smart. That must be the problem here. So what what changed or what did something happen? Did you realize like, oh, it's not that I'm not smart. It's that I, that this is happening, that dyslexia is happening, that whatever's happening. Was there a moment when there was kind of that light bulb of like, oh, I'm not an idiot. I just, I, I just have this thing. You know, it's when um, a few years ago, I did this kind of like deep introspection type stuff. And there was a moment that had been pushed down inside of me so far that I hadn't thought about it since I was in kindergarten, Mm. but it popped back up. And when it came back up, it came back up with a lot of tears because it was like, whoa, that's the reason. That's the reason that you've thought this your whole life, or at least one of the reasons. And that was when I was in kindergarten, when you start to read out loud to peers and to your teacher, I obviously didn't do a very good job. And then when it became to arithmetic and stuff like that, I'm sure I didn't do well. And And the teacher took me and one other student and the the classroom was set up in these rows. You know, it was four or five rows, four or five deep. And there was everyone in these rows except for me and one other student who were offset completely to the side. And it was, you know, even at that age, you you can – you know, connect the dots. Yeah. It was you two are not up to speed. You two are not smart. You two um, can't hang with everybody else, and that uh, that perpetuated and that continued throughout most of you know schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it was probably um, you know if I was really to say like I knew I had work ethic. 
But that to me was something different than um, not being dumb. Mm-hmm. It was basically like you have to like, – because I enjoyed working hard. Um, but it probably wasn't until I got into um, running my own business mm. that I was like, oh, um, you – this is a little bit different. Now, I also had the the, the luxury that my – my dad struggled in school, but was successful in mm-hmm. business. Yep. So I had that. Um, that train has gone down the tracks before me. Yeah. So I kind of had, and and we my parents never really assigned, you know, school grades to how well you're going to do in life because my dad did what I shouldn't say life, um, re- really well in, um, your career. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of helpful for me. Yeah, I imagine. Yep. Um, but that's, that's kind of the, if, if, if there, I, there was definitely a moment when I realized I wasn't like the other kids. And then it probably wasn't until I started my business that I realized that doesn't mean a whole lot. Got it. Cool. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, let's get in some books. What do you, what have you got? Uh, and, uh, uh, and just to remind folks, uh, all that context probably being helpful. Do you still do most audiobooks? Uh, you know, in the, in the stack of books, are you, are you 50, 50 or where are you at? I'm probably like, uh, 50, 50 or 40, 60, um, more heavily weighted to audio, Cool, but it's pretty close to half. Got it. I read every morning actual like books, but then I listen to audio books on my car rides. Got it. So, um, it's probably about half and half. What do you do? Are you about? Uh, I'm f- all hard. I'm all physical. Yeah, you're yeah. not in a car. Your commute is like yeah. My commute nine is walking, <laughs> walking through the backyard. Yeah, yeah. and then when I am in the car, <clears throat> I tend to do podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems that tends to me. And I think I mentioned this last time. For some reason, when I'm listening to an audiobook, just having the singular voice throughout the entire thing, I just I get distracted. And that's why podcasts for me, the conversational podcasts hold my attention in a way that for what again, whatever reason, audiobooks, I just I don't tend to be able to do that very well. Well, it's good that podcasts hold people's attentions. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll let you go first. What do you got? Um, so how do we how do we format this? Do I do my five and then you do your five? Or yeah, why, do, why do, do one, you do one? Let's do, yeah, let's do a couple at a time so we can kind of okay. get a break. So uh, go go with one or go with two or whatever. All right. Um, so I, I will do this. Uh, I will not do this in order of the way I read them. Okay. I'll do this in order of... Um, Least favorite to favorite. Oh, cool. Okay. So uh, the least favorite one I've read uh, most recently of the last five, besides the ones that I read um, that you recommended, um, was Life Force, Mm. Tony Robbins. Okay. Um, And I'm a big Tony Robbins fan. I like a lot of his books and they've been kind of instrumental, a lot of the things that I do as a coach. Um, But... Uh, this one just really missed the mark for me. Interesting, because uh, this one, like, it would just no, this should I just be like, no bit, right. This sh- exactly, this should be like, say, exactly. like this feels like right up your alley. This is it's hitting. It's like the book that's fitting in the spot. So life force. So the idea behind life force is um, mind, body, spirit together creates your life force. It's about long. It's not about. Um, any excelling in any one thing. It's about having this vitality and this energy and longevity all together. And, um, so it's, it's very, um, forward thinking, but it's all, there's nothing concrete in it. 
Mm. And, and maybe it's because I'm so entrenched into it that I can, you know, it's, it's one of those things that the, the more uh, that you've been entrenched in something, um, you want to continue to gain. And it's very, uh, I'm not a fan of the way it was written, mm. which is, um, here are some exciting things by the way, that I'm so excited that I have invested in them. Yeah. Um, it's a, honestly, it's a really, really slick 600 page advertisement for about two dozen different companies he's invested in. Yep. Not to say that any of the stuff is bad because it's all amazing and good, but there's nothing that you can, there's nothing actionable out of it. It's all, in two years, in five years, this is what's coming. Get excited. Or um, there are studies that show that this could help you now. Like, mm-hmm. And it's just not yep. anything real right now. Yep. So I was, I was disappointed. I was very, very excited to read it. Um, there is a chapter that I liked a lot, which is basically about happiness. That is kind of his sweet spot. He, he nails that stuff. And I really enjoyed that chapter. I listened to that chapter. I listened to this book, um, but I also bought it as well. Um, so I did both. And he, I listened to that chapter uh, three times in a row. So I did mm-hmm. like that one chapter, but um, the rest of it uh, definitely missed the mark. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, that that when I saw that book, I, that felt the one that like, oh, you were going to be psyched about that. Yeah. And it, it strikes me because it's something I've been thinking about lately, which is just like the value of of paying attention to quote unquote cutting edge science, which it feels like is a lot of that. Um, and I see, you know, we see it in the nutrition space. We see it in all, all, all sorts of places where it's like a study has shown this. And now this is the, this is, this is true. And I always just wonder, like, we've really, like, I, I wonder if we shouldn't just, we got to be more patient and say, all right, in five years or 10 years, then we can say, we know something, but in the world we live in, Nobody wants to be that patient. And so it's got to be, you know, we've got to put it out now. We've got to say it now. Yeah. So the the book is, you nailed it. It is uh, Precision Health. Yep. Um, so it is, yes, in a bunch of years, there will be nano robots living inside of you that are reading your blood real time and doing little tiny microsurgeries. And we will be living to 180 years old and we will be doing, this is what stem cells will be doing all that stuff. But um there's some pretty loud claims um, in terms of things like I know I know dozens of people that have done stem cell and um, with varying degrees of success. And mm-hmm. when you if you aren't privy to having the dozens and dozens of exposures to it, you hear this and you latch onto like anybody would. Like I know a guy that um, you know the 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 Jared Subway thing. So you're telling me if you eat Subway every day for lunch, you could lose 150 pounds. Like a guy did it <laughs> and you could create a whole advertising campaign around it, aka write a book. And But I wouldn't say that's the prescription, mm-hmm. eating Subway subs every day for lunch if you want to lose 100 pounds. Yes, someone has done it. And it's one of these things with research and science is you have to go through it with a little bit of a fine-tooth comb. Otherwise, you're picking up a bunch of other stuff that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. All right. Cool. That was Life Force. You want to do another one? You want me to jump into one? Uh, 
Yeah, why don't you go? Let's do it okay. that way. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna mention two, um, because I think that they're for the right person. These two books are actually really useful. The first is called The Minimalist Entrepreneur by uh, his name is Sahil Lavig Lavignia Lavingia L A V I N G I A. He is the founder of a company called Gumroad, and Gumroad is a software as a service that allows um, creators and businesses and entrepreneurs uh, to kind of have an easy uh, payment platform through which they can kind of sell their digital goods. They do memberships and stuff like that. Um, and so I know, I know of Gumroad, I kind of use Gumroad or I'm planning to use Gumroad. And so I knew his name and I kind of stumbled into the book. Um, that's the first one. And the second one is called full circle marketing by Wayne Mullins. And the reason I'm going to batch these two together, and actually it's funny, the four, the four businessy books are, are related to some degree, but I'm going to batch these two together because they're actually really good. If you're at the beginning of the process, if you're having maybe already started and trying to figure out, trying to get a framework or, or get a blueprint for where to focus your energies, for where to focus your time. Um, these two are both really, really good. Uh, the Minimalist Entrepreneur kind of uh, is about the idea of building something um, that, uh, trying to build something that is maybe bigger than yourself, right? So maybe you've got employees, you've got team, whatever, but not building it for the sole sake of growth, but building it for the, for the impact that you can have and the life that you can have through building it. And, um, and so it walks through the process or walks through some of the big pieces of building what he calls a minimalist uh, or becoming a minimalist entrepreneur. Um, and so really good for uh, anybody at the beginning stages who wants to build something, again, bigger than themselves, but doesn't want to let that get out of hand. And then Full Circle Marketing is, it's a really small book. I've got it right here in front of me. Um, and I love small books. I love small books that you can read in kind of like a weekend. Um, and this is, it's its like a, it's, it's maybe the best like marketing simplified primer that I've come across. Oh, and it, wow. Yeah, it's that's very a bold claim. Yeah, it's yeah, great. I know you read a it's, lot. It's, so that's, yeah. that's cool. And and actually, when I first picked it up, I was like, Oh, this might be a little too simple. But as I but I once I let that thought go, it was actually really helpful to like, just clarify and get really refocused on uh, a few really big things. And, and the really the big thing and, and why it's called full circle marketing is if you think about marketing, it's, it's, uh, it's really two things. It's attracting and it's keeping, it's attracting new people and it's keeping uh, the people that you've got. And so what it does is it walks through the kind of the four uh, journeys that need to happen for those two halves to be successful or to, com to be completed. And the first is, and this is very like, this is not super new and a lot of people try to put a spin on it, but this is like very simply, very simply put, in order for marketing to work, the first thing that needs to happen is a stranger needs to become a friend. The second thing that needs to happen is a friend needs to become a customer. Third thing is a customer needs to become an evangelist. And then a, the evangelist then talks to their friends. So if you think about that as a circle from, from stranger to friend to customer to evangelist, and then you let the evangelist speak to their friends. And so just having that laid out is super helpful. And then basically what the book is about is you need to have a campaign, quote unquote campaign in place that 
works each one of those particular journeys. You need to be thinking about, okay, how do we take, how do we move a stranger into the into our friend zone? <laughs> how do we move a friend into a customer? How do we move a customer to an evangelist? How do we move, or how do we inspire our evangelist to talk about us? And so just walking through each one of them and saying, okay, what do I have in place that does that? What do I have in place that does that? What do I have in place that does that? Uh, again, really clarifying, really simple. And if you're just at the start, and I know I work with a lot of people who, uh, the idea of marketing is like, not only do I not even like it, I don't even know what it is to, to, to know if I like it. This is a really good, simple, easy to understand, super quick to read, uh, understanding or, or beginning to understand what marketing is so that you can start to do it so that you're not so scared to say, oh, I'm going to do some marketing now, which again, I work with a lot of people who are like, I just want to do this thing. I don't want to worry about marketing. I don't want to do that stuff. But the truth is, until you get comfortable marketing, you can't do anything else. Really cool. Those sound like great. I'm gonna pick up both those. Um, yeah. The minimalist entrepreneur. So it's I'm I'm catching two two um, main points out of that, and maybe maybe you can help me. One is um, which I really is. You don't need to grow for growth's sake. This could be something that you do more as like a a, a passion play that serves you and your life and other people. Yep. And the other part of it kind of like a, a four hour work week type thing, like making it really um, streamlined? To a degree, yes. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna give you like the, um, it's not quite as prescriptive as four hour work week and not quite as, uh, um, I don't, uh, what's the right word? Um, yeah, prescriptive, it's not quite that. I'm gonna just give tactical. you like the big, yeah, maybe that, that might be what it is, not quite as tactical. Um, I'm gonna give you really quickly like the, the big bullet points as to what his process is and I'll go kind of quick. Um, and these are sort of the big bullet points of like, this is what a minimalist entrepreneur aims for. The first is profitability. Minimalist entrepreneurs create businesses that are profitable at all costs. Second is start with community. Minimalist entrepreneurs build on a foundation of community. Third is build as little as possible. When they do build, minimalist entrepreneurs build only what they need to, automating or outsourcing the rest. Next is sell to your first hundred customers. Minimalist entrepreneurs don't spend time convincing people, they spend time educating people. The next is market by being you. Speaking of vulnerability, minimalist entrepreneurs share their stories from struggle to success. And the last two is grow yourself and your business mindfully. Uh, um, minimalist entrepreneurs own their businesses. They don't let their businesses own them. And then the last one is build the house you want to live in. Minimalist entrepreneurs hire other minimalist entrepreneurs. And oh, so it's I actually funny that. when I when I read through that just quickly. Wow. Um, I think that's in many ways, that's how you started Comptrain. Yes. Like I, I'm looking at this so. and thinking like, Oh, is there anything here that feel, but I feel like you did that, you know, call it accidentally, yeah. but, but not really. But I love um, that. I love when it, you, we can put a framework to yeah. things that had been kind of fuzzy before. Right. Yeah. Like that's 100%. so cool to, I I'm, I'm a, I'm very excited to take into that one. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good, easy read and some, some good stories in there. Um, but highly recommend it as well. Yeah. yeah. And then full circle marketing. Um, Sounds exactly like we've talked about the our working definition, or at least my working definition is of marketing is turning strangers into raving fans. So that seems like it's uh, very much in terms of like moving people through the funnel, the appropriate places, and whether it's the funnel or the hourglass that we've talked about before, whatever it yep, is. But exactly, uh, really cool. Yeah, the full circle marketing actually. Now thinking about it now, like because it's so short, it's actually would be a great book. Like and suggesting this for you or anybody out there who's got a small team. Yeah. Um, this would be one of those books that like 
buy 10 copies and hand them out to everybody because right. it'll take them it'll take them a weekend to read and then everybody will have the same language so again not you know it's one of those things marketing is one of those things for whatever reason everybody's like oh i don't do that that's not me but the truth of the matter is if you are in business if you are in a business you are in the business of marketing period full stop you are in the business of attracting serving and um and keeping the people you are there to serve right and so if you had a team and nobody thinks that they're on the marketing team or everybody's on, which means everybody's on the marketing team, giving them this book and say, and then coming up with together, what is our strategy for turning strangers into friends? What is our strategy? Getting people to understand that these are really the four or five, whatever strands, journeys, campaigns, and then everybody can have that common language to say, okay, this is what we're working on now. This is for this stage of this, uh, this process, this, this marketing journey, I think would be really helpful. I think it's a great idea. I'm going to read it and then most likely do follow and do that exact same thing with my team. Awesome. Love it. Okay. Cool. What else you got? Okay. So, uh, number two, um, for me, and it's kind of the same thing. I read these books back to back. Um, so, but these, I'm going to lump these as one, um, cause they're by the same author. And we did a podcast a little while back on, um, how to focus or, mm -hmm. um, um, I think that's what it was essentially. And we, someone suggested that because we talked, we teased that we were going to do that. We, we teased, Ooh, that could be a full episode. So somebody sent to me and said, if you're going to talk about that, you really need to read this book called indistractable, mm. um, by near, I'm going to butcher his last name. Al. Al. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, he also wrote a book, another book that was even more popular called hooked. Yep. Um, and both of them take, uh, he's kind of like uh, a technology guy, right? Like what is social media to how they figured out how to get these apps, how they figure out how to get you hooked. And thus the follow up to being hooked was like, how do you not get hooked? How do you, how do you get not unhooked? get distracted? How do you get unhooked? <laughs> exactly. So it was good. But the, I think the reason I didn't love it was because it was one of those books that I had read one book on the subject that I loved and it's kind of what happens is you read one, you love it and you try to further your knowledge and it doesn't quite match up. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that other book was deep work by Cal Newport. And I just, that's uh to me as a classic, I think everyone needs to read that. Yep. Um, phenomenal. Um, this is how I intersplice other book recommendations in. Love it. Perfect. Um, but similar to that is like the other books I read, uh, I read the, the, um, talent code, Mm -hmm. Before I read the more popular talent is overrated and the talent code I loved, loved, loved. I thought it was amazing. And talent is overrated just kind of didn't meet it as well. Maybe because mm -hmm. again, because it was second, but the idea behind indistractable is basically you have two things. You are, um, there's either traction, traction, meaning you're making progress, stepping closer to your goals, you're gaining and taking, you're getting traction or there is distraction, distraction, which means you are not. And his two basic, hmm, I read it a while ago now, but I'm gonna try to remember. The two basic takeaways I had from it was, were, was, whatever. <laughs> um, one I loved, which is what we talk a lot about, is triggers and mm -hmm. understanding triggers and how these things pull you away from your goals and what you want. So love that aspect. We talk about triggers all the time, so I'm not going to delve down that. And the second one we talk about quite a bit as well 
is to schedule things around your values, mm. which is those two things. If you read the book and, and kind of got some greater insights into those two things, it's a worthwhile read because those are two hugely important, in my opinion, hugely important pieces to a successful life is what is going to trigger you both positively or negatively. Um, and then to make sure that we're spending our time on our things that we value most and not letting kind of the, the busyness of life distract you away from that. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I actually haven't read distractible. I think for a couple of reasons, one, I've read a lot, uh, I've read a number of books on the subject of attention and, um, and so I, it's one of those things that like, to your point, like, I'm not sure how much more I'm going to like really dive into it, but I want to, I just second your, uh, love and appreciation for deep work. I, I think that yeah, that's deep work. Um, if we were to pick one of in that category, I would pick deep work. Yeah, agreed. Um, cool. Um, I'm going to do what I did last time. I'm going to bulk or I'm going to batch two more books because, and I'm, I'm batching them. The first two were f recommendations for maybe early on in the process, or at least thinking about, uh, or at least uh, helpful for people early on in the process, certainly useful for anybody in any st stage of the process. And the next two are for anybody who's a little bit further along and who perhaps are at a place where they found some amount of success uh, in the business, things are moving and they, they're beginning to feel like I can't possibly do more than what I'm doing now. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough help to do anything more than just kind of like keep my head above water. And so both of these books are very kind of, um, systems focused minimalist entrepreneurs also to a degree systems focused, but these two are really kind of like nitty gritty. Let's work on the system so that you can work on, uh, then whatever the next step or the, ne whatever the next level of the business are, are is. And the first book is by Jenny Blake. Uh, it's called Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business. And the next one is called Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. And Mike Michalowicz is uh, who I mentioned in our last time we did this. He wrote the book Get Different, um, the marketing book. And he also wrote a book called Profit First. Um, all three of those books, th those are the three books of his that I've read. I recommend all three of them. Um, this one, again, is called Clockwork. And the first one is called Free Time. Um, and let me think. Free Time, I think is free times. It's, it's a, she also has a really, she's also got a podcast by this name for folks. If, if this is curious to them, this is how I found her through free time, uh, through, through their podcast and what she does or what she advocates for similar to the minimalist entrepreneur, something called a heart based heart based business. And she's arguing for, uh, high net freedom. So not high net worth, but high net freedom, the ability to do work you love with people you, you want to work with in, in such a way that, that it supports uh, and uh, encourages your values and doesn't take up your entire life. And so free time is, is uh, a bunch of um, uh, frameworks or tactics for, for growing your business beyond just yourself, growing your business to work with what she calls a delightfully tiny team, which I loved, yeah. right? Having three, four five people uh, working for you in, in their zones of, of competence and, and excellence, allowing you to stay within your zone of competence or excellence. Um, and lots of tactics in there about how to remove 
bottlenecks, which is, I think, maybe a, a big theme throughout the book is how do you identify and smash bottlenecks in your business so that you're not just constantly working? And that is not too distant from what clockwork is about. Clockwork, again, by Mike Michalowicz. The big, uh, the, the argument that clockwork is trying to make is for what he calls organizational efficiency. Um, and, and he has this line that I love. He says, the point is to do, to, is to do less with less to do more. So in other words, to, to do less, be less busy with less constrain yourself so that you're not just filling 12 hours a day full of work because you can and to do more. So because of that, because of those constraints, focus what you're doing on the things that are truly and most impactfully important, getting a sense of what those things are, getting rid of the things that don't support that and focusing all your energy on the most important things. And he has this one thing in there that the, the really the big takeaway from the from clockwork is this is this idea or concept that he has, uh, that he calls the queen bee role. And the queen bee role is the um, what he calls he calls it the thrive factor. So it's the action, or the role inside the business. Uh, that is the most important that without which nothing else really matters. And the metaphor why he calls it the queen bee role is when looking at a hive, uh, a beehive, what you learn and what you see is that the, the, the most important role in the hive for the, for the hive to thrive, apologies for the rhyming is for the queen bee to be safe, to be protected and to have what she needs to lay eggs. If that isn't the case, Every single bee's job is to make sure that it becomes the case. And when it is the case that the queen bee has what she needs to lay the eggs that they need, they go off and do their primary jobs, whatever those, whatever those bee jobs are. But until that role is served and protected, nothing else matters. Because without the eggs, the, the hive will not thrive, right? And so the argument in the book is every single business has a queen bee role. It's not a person. It's not a machine. It's not a thing. It's a role. And so once you understand what that role is, this is the thing that without which nothing else really matters until you know what that is. And then until you design the business to make sure that everybody in their own way is supporting it first, protecting that role, and then and only then doing their primary jobs, whether that's marketing, whether that's creating media, whether that whatever those things are, but without understanding and optimizing and organizing for that queen bee role, you're not nearly at the strength that you can be. Is identifying and the importance of that uh, queen bee role similar to the top of the flywheel? You know, that's so funny because that's exactly how I started seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. That, and yeah. it's not, that's not in the book, but that's how I actually took that. Right. One of my big takeaways is, okay, if it's that important, right. then it needs to be the thing that you push on, right? If you think about the flywheel, literally, yep. like, that's the place that you push. That's where you put the energy because that's the thing that's going to push it forward. Right. And without that actual thing happening, nothing else in the business happens because it's a if lot of this happens, work. then that, if exactly. this happens, then that, and you get the whole thing kind of going up. Exactly. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, you have four books so far that I'm going to read all four. The, those are great. Those are so right up my alley. Yep. And all of them are good. Um, and I want to just mention, I'm trying to think of how I found these books. Um, free time I got 
because she's got a podcast that I like clockwork. I've read his books before, but the, uh, I don't remember where minimalist entrepreneur is, but full circle marketing, I just randomly found on Instagram. Um, yeah. and so one thing that I do, and I was, I just did it this morning on Instagram, you know, you can save things. And so what I, what I do when I'm just randomly scrolling and people are posting things and now Instagram knows I like books. So it gives me more, I just save them in a little collection called books. And then like once every two weeks or once a month, I just go through that and I add all of the ones that still seem interesting to me into a, a, a list on Amazon. And so I've got a list of, you know, 30, 40, 50 books, whatever on Amazon of books that I've at least have kind of come through the first filter of, oh, that seems interesting. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that's actually, that's kind of my process for picking a book. First, I just get exposed to it somehow, podcast, whatever. I add it to a list. And then once every six weeks, I go in and I buy three to four books. And so there's like two or three layers of that filter in place. Not everything on the list I'm going to read because I'm going to look at it again and that doesn't seem that interesting to me. But to me, that kind of filtering system is super helpful because I'm never I'm never like, oh, what am I going to read next? Because I've always got a list in place that I can say, okay, those are going to be the next four. That's great. Yeah. So I think one of those things, like if you don't have a book, you're not, <laughs> sound silly. If you don't have a book lined up, you're not going to pick up the next one. And then you'll go weeks or weeks or months without a book to read. And for me, reading is a habit as much as anything. And so if I don't have three or four or five books kind of like in the queue, I'll go weeks or a month without a new book. And that to me is unacceptable. Yeah, I, I think I'm more impulsive. I, mm -hmm. I just buy the book. <laughs> if I hear about it, I buy it and it's on my bookshelf or it's in my audio file, whatever it is. And when the next one's done, the next one's there lined up. Mm -hmm. Um it also allows me the freedom. It's kind of like having a season pass when you're skiing. Like if yeah. I don't like the book I'm reading, totally. yep. there's another one waiting for me. It's not like I need to finish this one. Yeah. yeah. I guess, yeah, I think our similarities are you want to have you want to have a collection at home or in your app or whatever so that when you're like, oh, I want to read something, it's never like, oh, I guess I got to go look Try or to go to the bookstore, go to find, because yeah. that's just, that's an excuse not to start. You you never want an excuse to pick up the book because then what is it? Well, then I'll just go watch something else. I'll, 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 whatever, I'll go to the internet. But if you have books in hand that you're excited about, whenever either you finish a book or whatever, you get bored with the book, you're excited to pick up the next one. And that to me is the, is the momentum necessary to, to read a lot. Cool. Okay. My, uh, my third book, which was, um, which is good. It, I just, I read it at, um, if, if I'd read this in a different point in my life, namely, uh, two years ago, it would have been phenomenal. Mm. Um, and that is, it's called the talent war. Mm. It's written by three Navy SEALs and it's about the hiring process. And I, I read so many books when I was writing my book. Yep. Um, cause that's very much what this is. It's their whole premise is you hire not for it, not based off of experience, not on resumes, but off of character. Mm -hmm. They do a really nice job of saying, giving you concrete. Here are the 10 character traits you need to hire for. And the example, it's hard to argue with because it's written by all the special forces. They can't hire based off experience. Right. You can't go, you need 10 years <laughs> of, of warfare you need, experience. You need to be a sniper in Afghanistan before we hire you to be a sniper in a, they would never be able to hire anybody. Yep. So the whole idea is hire and train. I, I'm sorry, hire for character, train, and then train for yep. experience. Yep. So, um, 
I don't. There's not much more to it than that. Although, unless we want to delve into the character traits, but I think that um, they are as good a list of character traits as I've come across, and they do a very good job of giving definitions to them, um, mm-hmm. like curiosity, like humility, um, like leadership, things like that. And um, they make them. They turn them from soft into harder things, and give a lot of good stories along the way about um, how it's just and the importance of the hiring process in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it should be a process and a lot of people kind of just wing it and they end up just hiring when they need and for a need. Yep. And that's not really the way to do that. Um, just, we don't have to get into each one of them, but out of curiosity, when you say it's a process, is it, is it like, uh, you know, a three month process, a six month process that they consider the quote unquote hiring process? Cause that, to me, like the first thing that's like, well, how do you get through every one of those? If you've got three interviews with the person before you've decided you need to, or rather you have to make a decision. So is it like hire based on this and then test and qualify and, and fire if, if not after three months or something? Yeah. You know, I, it's a good question. I don't, I, the honest answer is I don't remember what the, if there was an exact recommendation or what the, uh, for the process was, um, my, the, what's sitting in my gut, what it said is basically that is a little bit dependent on the organization. Yep. Um, and, um, but the biggest pro the biggest part of it is the vetting process and you can't tell anything from a resume and a whole lot less from an interview. Yep. So, um, it's about using a, a, a vetting process for character above all. Cool. Got it. Recommend cool. for recommend generally, or do, would you recommend that it's first? I would recommend, first? yeah, I would recommend generally. It's, uh, yeah. again, if I had read this while I was, um, writing my book, which is when I was reading all of these books, yep. I probably would have cited it a lot. Got it. Um, cause it, it was a, it's a worthwhile, um, read for people that have not, or trying to work on dialing in a hiring process. Got it. But I think you know how much work we've put into that on our own end. Totally. Yeah. Love that. Okay, cool. I've only got one more. Um, and I'm actually admittedly in the middle of it, but I'm going to, I'm going to recommend it anyways, because I actually, so far it's, it's very good. It's called the scout mindset. Um, and I don't know where this one came from though. I imagine it was Instagram. Um, and I kind of, I'm glad, I'm glad I picked it. It was on my shelf as we were just like, I've got a, I've got a handful of books that I've just like are here and ready for whenever. And I just kind of grabbed it randomly and I'm glad I did because it's, um, so far really interesting. Basically the scout mindset is about so far, because I'm only halfway through it is about, the distinction between uh, what the author and the author's name, so I don't forget, Julia Galef, G-A-L-E-F. Um, it's kind of about like the two divergent ways of thinking. And very simply, it sort of, it contrasts the scout mindset with the soldier mindset. And the soldier mindset is, um, it looks for confirmation. It looks for what it already believes to be true mm. in pursuit of more in pursuit of comfort, in pursuit of um, not having to think about this thing anymore. Um, And it's something uh, uh, called directionally motivated reasoning. Um, And so that's the soldier mindset. And then contrasting with the scout mindset, which looks for the truth in order to build better maps, in in order to build a better sense of reality. Um, And that's something called accuracy motivated reasoning. And so it's one of those things that uh, everybody... I imagine believes that they're a scout. Everybody's like, oh, I look for truth. I look, for, I reason through things when the truth is, uh, that's probably not the case for most, most of us. Um, and so it's just a really interesting book to pick apart 
how you look at the world, how you come to the beliefs and opinions that you do come to, and importantly, how to get yourself out of the habit of constantly looking for confirmation of what you believe to be true in order to try to figure out what might actually be true. That's really cool. Yeah. So anyways, I'm about I love it. It's, it's, it's really a little good. bit of like a, a fixed versus growth mindset. To a degree. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah. A, I, I, I like that. I like the, I, I think that's one of the, the invisible, the faults that most of us don't recognize is that confirmation bias and how prevalent it is. And we, I, I you know, as humans hate uncertainty Yep. And we want to be correct about, and we'll search far and wide for things that line up with our belief system. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly that soldier mindset, yep. as opposed to what most of us should be challenging ourselves to do, which is seek out new. I love that idea of like to create better maps. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yep. All right. Very cool. Um, what do I got? What do I, got? Right. Mm -hmm. I got, uh, the next two, I have two more, um, and both of these, they're rereads of mm. two of my favorite books that I've ever read. Ooh, love it. So the first one is The Inner Game of Tennis. Mm, I saw you, <laughs> I was at the office the other day and I saw you try to give it to Cole. Yes. <laughs> Meaning- well, I, I tried to try give, because he's already got it. So I already gave it to him. I gave it to him. I gave it to him three years ago, but I forgot and I gave it to him. So that blew up my face trying to give it to him again. <laughs> um, but it is, it's one of these ones, I always forget about, this book, but people, people ask me all the time about what's a book about mindset that you recommend? Yeah. What's a book about like compete this by far and away in terms of athletic mindset, there is, uh, this is by far and away the best book I have ever read. It's the only book actually that I think actually gets to the real thing, the actual psychology. And I think the reason I think that is because it takes much more of a, um, spiritual approach than a than a um tactical like mm -hmm. everyone else is like when you reframe things and do the, it's like it's so basically it's what's it saying is from your birth to your death you're already perfect mm. it's that's it but we get in the way of ourselves and limit our potential by overthinking mostly meaning judging ourselves being unfocused and egocentric. Mm. Those three things are the things that really get in the way of our athletic performance. And by the way, it's written through the prism of tennis because he's a tennis coach, but it could be applied to anything, even if you're not an athlete, it's phenomenal. He goes all the way into like the, the, the purpose of competition. Competition is kind of polarizing, especially these days. Yeah. Some people yeah. think it's amazing. Some people think it's the detriment of society. And he gives this really thoughtful explanations for how it, the importance and the need for it at a very high at a level of humanity, kind of like Ubuntu, that mm -hmm. South African saying of like, I need you to be your best self because when you are your best self, that's what allows me to like, to be my, it's this really cool approach to how do you go through life with relaxed concentration? Mm -hmm. And if we can all do that, like we're kind of, we're kind of doing it. Yep. And most of us are not for a whole host of different reasons. So he labels, everyone has got these different things. Um, Freud did the, um, 
the ego, super ego and the id. Other people have done um, the self, the centered self. The, he, he talks about self one and self two, mm. um, conscious and subconscious. Mm-hmm. And basically the idea behind this is self one can do everything it needs to do. But self two, kind of the ego mind who likes to say, you're good at this or you suck or gets in the way. And it's this beautiful explanation of um, how to work through that. Uh, so that's it's a book that I just love as, as a coach, especially a coach, an athletic coach and somebody mm-hmm. that plays such a high um, onus on mindset. It's, it's probably the best book I've ever read on the topic. And it came to me um, through, uh, I heard that one of my, our members recommended it to me um, and he got it because he heard Tom, it's one of Tom Brady's favorite books. Got it. Got it. Um, and, and, and the next one, um, let me just do the next one. We'll do them together. Yeah, yeah. Is um, my, one of my favorite business books, but it's not businessy. Um, it can be used for real life just as easily as it could for business. And it's massively impactful. And it's a book called Insanely Simple. Mm. Um, Ken Siegel. And the cool part about this is, he was part of the marketing agency um, that Steve Jobs used when he was with Apple and with Next. And the cool part about that is he had as much of an insight to Steve Jobs as maybe anybody. Steve Jobs was so passionate about marketing, particularly branding. And this was his right-hand man. This is the guy that did it all. But the cool part is not only was he previewed to a lot of the behind the scenes of Steve Jobs and his mindset, but he got to contrast that because he didn't work just for Steve Jobs. He also worked for other um, technology companies. In, so he worked for Dell and Hewlett Packard and these others. And he got to see firsthand the differences between how Apple did it and these other guys and how massively impactful the Apple approach was. And it is very, very contrarian. It is not the normal way to do business. But as we've, we kind of learn is we are all, complexity is like a, it's like a siren that we are drawn to. We think that the next thing is the answer. So we are, if we don't fight with complete awareness and total attention, we're going to, we're going to by default get sucked into complexity and complexity is the enemy of execution. Mm-hmm. And the true power lies in simplicity. And if we can bring simplicity to all of the things we do, everything from, you know, Apple did a beautiful, like when the iPhone first came out, it had one button, mm-hmm. <laughs> way more simple. It came in two colors, white or black. The, the computers that we're doing this on, there's only one color back in the day. And it came in two different versions, Air so there was the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Two choices. Whereas if you went on Hewlett Packard, there was over 35 different choices. Now, you're going to get sucked into that. The complexity is like, well, we need to make one for this and this. We got to make one for a person that wants this and wants this. You go, there are other but markets are going to reward simplicity. Your life is going to be more valuable with a simplistic, so they call it the sim- Steve Jobs' simple stick. And how many people would get hit with a simple stick? Right down to like how many people are in a meeting. And if you weren't adding value in the meeting, he would say, why are you here? And you get out like right now in front of everybody, walk out. 
Like it had everything, everything was pared down to the most simplest form of everything. And it's also written very um, fun and engaged. It's like a, you want to, you want to, it's a page turner. Mm-hmm. You want to read it. Love it. Those are, those are two very good ones. Um, uh, I have not read Inner Game of Tennis. I think because of the title, even though I know it's a classic right. in this yeah. In this category, like it's still, it's like that, like, and not to say anything about it, just like, I think that that's been the barrier every time I see it or I come across it. Um, that's always the barrier, but it's good to hear that, uh, at least in this case, you should ignore the title. It's a, it's a bad title. And it's a bad cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a short but, book, dude. Not, not the short book. Yeah. I, mean, I have it, I have it right in front good, of it. Yep. It's but, nice um, but when I saw, yeah. when I, yeah, when I watched you handed to call, I was like, Oh, that's a, that, that's a good quick read. Um, which as I mentioned, I just appreciate. So, um, love it. Thank you, my man. That was good. Cool. Um, I will, or we will leave, uh, we'll list out all these books that we mentioned in the show notes. So if you, uh, if you didn't catch one or an author, uh, they'll be there. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Reading is good. (laughs) I agree. All right. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.